Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. It's a special podcast we put together on the weekends for you to enjoy. It's going to highlight some of our best interviews from this week from the radio show. You can hear these interviews live during the week in your local radio station. To find out where you can hear the Dan Bongino radio show near you, go to Bongino.com. Click on Station Finder, and you'll find the station nearest you. But before we get to our first interview, let me get to one of our sponsors. We really appreciate their time. Birch Gold, folks, listen, your wallet, you may have uh, the same amount of money in it today or tomorrow, but you know what inflation does? It makes the money buy less and less and less. It does the same for your savings account. You've got to protect your assets and your money. How do I do it? I use Birch Gold. The situation's going to get worse right now. We have runaway inflation. Because big government folks spent a lot of money we didn't have. You know what their solution is? To print and spend more money. So how are you hedging and protecting against inflation? Well, do what I do. Use Birch Gold, B-I-R-C-H. That's right. I buy gold from Birch Gold. Done it multiple times and you can too. And listen to this. If you text Dan, D-A-N, to 989898 for your free information kit on gold, you'll get a free gold bar with any purchase by December 22nd. But you have to claim your offer by Black Friday. Don't let the left destroy the value of your savings in your wallet. Text Dan to 989898 and claim your free information kit from Birch Gold. You can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account in Birch Gold. They'll help you do it. When you place an order by December 22nd, Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Text Dan to 989898. Secure your future with gold. Birch Gold. Do it today. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Message and data rate supply. Again, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. First up today, we talked to you, one of your favorites from Fox News, Leo Terrell, about the fallout from Tuesday's elections and what he thinks the implications of it are. Don't miss it. All right, you know him, you love him. One of our most popular guests also has his own show on one of the legendary radio stations in the country, one of our favorite affiliates, KABC in Los Angeles, our good friend, Leo Terrell. Leo, welcome back to the show. Dan, thank you. thanks for having me. And I know one thing, I know you wanted to serve in the Marines, but America thanks you for your service as an NYPD and Secret Service. Oh, well, that was nice, you, Lee. You're such a nice guy, man. You know, really, yeah, I didn't expect that. You must really listen to the show because I talked about that like two hours ago. You really do listen. That's, I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm, a, good I'm friend, a listener buddy. of the Dan Bongino Show. Yeah, you're a good friend. Leo, you know we love having you. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, every few weeks or once a month or so. It means a lot to us. The audience really loves you. We always include you on the Sunday specials as well on the podcast. So your thoughts on the election. A couple of things I'd like you to comment on. First, the knives out for uh, President Trump seem a little bit ridiculous. Uh, His candidates did quite well. Um, you know, he was the, one of the few presidents of modern times to win Pennsylvania. It just seems like the infighting in the GOP, the Democrats don't do this as much as we do. It's, it's kind of sad to see. Dan, let me tell you, first of all, I, I wanted more, but I'll take what we got on Tuesday. What, what did we yeah. get? We're going to kick Nancy Pelosi out of office as speaker. That is big news. We're within yeah. one seat from getting majority in the Senate, and we kick Chuck Schumer out. And that means all hands on deck 
for Herschel Walker so we can win that seat. Because we win that seat, then we control the House and the Senate, and then we have a major bargaining chip against the Biden administration, against the progressive left wing uh, uh, plan, and we don't give in until we get some form of border protection. We don't give in. We get the right investigation. So I'm not... 100% happy, but I'm happy. Regarding Trump, I'm glad you asked that question. I was at Mar-a-Lago a couple of days ago. Dan, you know this as well as I do. The Democratic yeah. Party hates Donald Trump, but the Republican establishment, they can't stand him. And they will try to throw him under the bus any time. This man's endorsement is the only endorsement that's worth something. They always want to attack him on the negatives, but what he has accomplished for America, he's the reason why I'm a, a Republican. He's the reason why Hispanics have moved to the Republican Party. He That's has right. changed the he has changed the the Republican Party into a working class party. The Democrats are the elite. Why? Because of Donald J. Trump, who is going to be our next president. Yeah, I agree, Leo. <laughs> Can I tell you a funny story on a, just on a personal note? So I know you were going to be at Mar-a-Lago. We wanted to get there, but we had this hurricane. The house was kind of flooded. Long story. But a lot of friends of mine, I have a personal Facebook page, too, so which I keep kind of an inner circle on. A lot of my Florida political friends, they were posting pictures at Mar-a-Lago. Leo, true story. Some of them had pictures with members of the Trump family and others, but the picture they posted first were pictures with Leo Terrell. I am not kidding. I, I'm no joke. There was like, here's Leo. Oh, and by the way, I got a picture with Trump too. This is what, this is what Dan, they did. I love, they love I you, love buddy. Florida. I love Florida. I know, it is Florida great. Loves you. I know why. I know why you moved down there. It is fabulous down there. It is a great, great state. And I'll tell you, a property run state, a model for the other 49 states. It is, and they love you here. Leo, you're out in L.A. You have a great show on KABC. Everybody should check out. I think it's KABC.com. It's a website. Drew, text me if I'm giving out the wrong website there. Um, but, Leo, what's going on with the Caruso-Karen Bass mayor's race out in L.A.? Uh, this is another debacle. If you could speak about that in terms of just this disastrous vote, vote counting, you don't know who your mayor is. We don't know who the governor of Arizona is. We don't know who the senator from Arizona is. We've got, we still don't know who the senator or the governor of Nevada are. I mean, this is embarrassing, Leo. This isn't the third world. This is the United States of America. Come on, guy, you know? Dan, I recall when there was just three networks, you vote on election day, you get the results right. in. Florida got the model example again. We knew the results. Dan, we may not know what's happening in L.A. until after Thanksgiving. And I'll tell you right now, it is very, very disheartening. For, our, for, for the election results not to be known on election night, but for weeks thereafter. And I'll tell you right now, that is a Democratic strategy to delay and to challenge their decisions that they don't like in court. I'm telling you right now, I don't like what's happening. I think Kerry Lake's going to win. I think Blake Masters is going to win. But the delay is unfair. It's not a democracy. And in Los Angeles, the mayor's race, hey, Maybe early December, Dan, maybe early December. And that is wrong. Election day took place 48 hours ago, not next month. That Leo, that's inexcusable. I mean, that is totally inexcusable that you have one of the world's most powerful cities, maybe outside of New York, the most powerful city. Um, just New York only because it's a, a deeper population and the stock market there. And you can't figure out who the mayor is. I mean, really, this is like North Korea, Kim Jong-un style. I mean, this is really embarrassing. You, you can't. And the people who, who are accusing, uh, who are calling us election deniers, Dan, they got drop boxes all over the city. They're unlocked. 
There are drop boxes that were posted where the keys were on top of the box. I mean, it is so corrupt. <laughs> what is wrong with people going to a, to a polling booth, voting, and then going home and watching the results at night uh, with their family? You can't do that in California. We are a disaster. I want to be very clear on this show. California is a disastrous blue state. And all praise for Lee Zeldin for what he accomplished. I mean, California yeah. should take notice. And Dan, honestly, we didn't. We may not have gotten the red wave, but we set the seed for people to understand that we need to go in the direction of the right. And I'll tell you right now, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. The Democrats need to feel some more pain, as, as Mr. T said, pain. The Democrats have not felt enough pain in their pocketbook, and they like this Green New Deal freaky idea. It's ridiculous. Yeah, man, gosh, you're talking my language. That's been the theme to the my show today, that it just hasn't gotten bad enough yet. Uh, I no. saw it in New York City. When it decays to a, the point where you, it, it personally starts to impact and cost you, whether in L.A. or in California at large, then people will change. But Leo, as a, a guy who previously supported the Democrats, who, who now came over to, to the MAGA side of the aisle, you... It happened. Like, you were one of those people who were like, I've had enough of this crap. Like, I'm going back Dan, to those guys. Dan, it's, now let me be clear. It wasn't, it wasn't a difficult decision. Three years ago, Joe Biden makes the most racist statement. You don't vote for me. You ain't black. That guy's a racist. But here's the part, and you can relate to this. My sister was in law enforcement. She worked for 16 years as a sheriff, and they're talking about defunding the police? That's not the Democratic Party of 30 years ago. I don't know what this party is. It's a socialist extremist party. I am the happiest citizen to be a MAGA Trump supporter right now. But the Democratic Party, in defense of the old Democratic Party, this is something weird. This is something, I don't even know what it is, Dan. I don't know what this party is. It doesn't represent the working class people. It doesn't represent the blue collar people. It represents themselves. They're elitist. How How in the world can Gavin Newsom win by 20 points? My goodness, this state has gone way left, Dan. Yeah, we're talking to Leo Terrell. You know, Leo, that Again, I hate cliches, but they're cliches for a reason. You know, people use them a lot and they make sense. You know, you hear a lot of former Democrats say, I didn't leave the Democrat Party. It left me. But in that in in your case, you know, it's true. You're a civil rights attorney. You believe in big R God given rights for everyone and you're willing to defend them using your legal prowess to do so. You've been doing this your whole life. You were a teacher in school. You've lived a life. You've, You've had real actual jobs in your life. I played earlier in the show a cut of Bill Clinton probably the last blue dog Democrat they had at the presidential level with the famous sister soldier speech. Yeah, I remember that. Where he called her out for, for saying that, you know, implying like killing white people. And Bill Clinton was like, I respect your right to free speech, but that you shouldn't be talking like this is terrible. There are white people in this room right here who support civil rights. If you gave that speech today in a Democrat party and you were Bill Clinton, you would be sent out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. You'd be kicked out of the party. It's insane. Oh, you're wrong. Not 40 days, 80 days, 100 days. You'd be able to come back. Dan, let me say sure, right, right now, this is what's the thing, the problem with the Democratic Party. They used to believe in equality. That is racist. And what, what uh, Bill Clinton said 20-some-odd years ago was absolutely right. He could not say that today and be a member of the Democratic Party, whatever this party is. No one can. They will cancel you. They will exile you. You will never be able to return. And I'm telling you, Dan, that's not a party. That is a, a power and control organization that demands cooperation 100%. You deviate a little bit, you're out. You're out. 
Yeah. Hey, we're talking to Leo Terrell. Leo, last question. I'll let you go. We always appreciate your time. So, uh, again, you being a civil rights attorney, this has to impact you deeply. It's been your life's work. Joe Biden yesterday used the bully pulpit at the White House to personally basically threaten Elon Musk, threaten him with investigations. Now, as you know, civil rights in a constitutional republic means we investigate crimes, Leo, and then we go and look for the people. Come in, hey, there was a murder. Let's go find out who it was. We don't investigate people and then go look for a crime. We don't say, hey, we don't like Leo Terrell, so let's just investigate him, and eventually we'll find he ripped the mattress tag off. That's not the way this works. What Joe Biden said about Elon Musk and investigating him yesterday from the bully pulpit is one of the most dangerous things I've ever heard in a White House press conference. It was used for a dual purpose. It was a signal to Elon Musk, and it also tells Americans, we are going to weaponize the Department of Justice to go after you if we, if we don't like what you say. Elon Musk is a private citizen. His wealth has nothing to do with his rights as a citizen. He expresses opinion, and you have the president using the bully puppet to try to intimidate I'm telling you, Dan, these Democrats, again, it's all about power and control, and they'll use every weapon of the federal government to try to keep us in check. Let's not forget about what happened in Virginia. They call parents domestic terrorists. I'm telling you, we got to drive these guys out. We look at the election results on Tuesday. It wasn't great, but it was a good start. And I'll tell you right now, we finished the job in 2024, Dan. It was. It was a good start. I'm glad to hear your optimism. I feel the same way. Everybody's all down, apocalyptic talk. It was It was a fine night. It wasn't a great night. It was a good night. Leo, one, one last thing. Any chance we can get you to move to Florida? Well, what do we got to do? What, what do you got to do to get you, you right over now, here? I'll tell you right now. You and I are a team. You're a truth teller. I mention you every day on my radio show. I love listening to oh, you. Thanks. I'm telling you, I'm very close to moving to Florida. I had one guy tell me, uh, a, a pastor said, Leo, we gotta, you got to stay here and do the fight here in California. And that was very powerful. And, you know, I've been a California all my life. Damn, we just can't give up on 40 million Californians. So, hey, I may just stick it out here and try to win the battle. Start with a small school district or a city council and try to turn California at the very minimum purple, Dan. Yeah, I under, I get it. I lived in blue states my whole life, New York and Maryland. I get it. I understand but I'll tell you, Leo, you're a, you're a superstar down here, man. People love you. That's a true story on Facebook. That is a, uh, I got, I'll, I'll, I'll send you on DM. I'll screenshot it. They, they the I pictures of Trump came second. It was Leo Terrell first. So you know, I love you got Florida. It. They're great people down there. Thanks, Dan. We love appreciate you it. Leo Terrell, thanks for your time. We appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Love you, brother. Talk to you. Yeah, love you too, man. Good man. My buddy. That was Leo Terrell. You heard his thoughts there on the midterms. Up next, we talked to one of the best commentators on conservative politics out there, Sean Davis from The Federalist. You're not going to want to miss this one either, but let me get to our next sponsor first. Today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. Let's say you're a proud gun owner. You want to go on social media talk about the right to bear arms. Well, chances are your post is going to be flagged by a content moderator. You might end up on some kind of government watch list to fight back against having your voice censored by big tech, I recommend ExpressVPN. I use it. See, the problem with big tech is that they track what you do online, what you're searching for, videos you watch, and everything you click. They can match your activity to your true identity using your device's unique IP address. When I use ExpressVPN, they can't see my IP address at all. My identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of my internet data for protection from hackers and eavesdroppers. ExpressVPN is a VPN rated number one by Business Insider and countless other tech platforms. It couldn't be easier to use. The app has one button, tap it, you're protected. It's that easy. I can figure it out. I'm not that tech savvy. Defend your rights and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Bongino. That's expressvpn.com slash Bongino to get three months free. expressvpn.com slash Bongino. 
With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. Here's Sean Davis from The Federalist with his unique take on the election fresh after it happened. Take a listen. So, folks, when you you want to hear from from people who know the swamp, understand the swamp and have spent their lives fighting against it, you know, you can come here because we have a no squish rule. Uh, One of those people who understands a lot about how D.C. works and how it fails us often is Sean Davis, who's been on the show often. We want to welcome him back today for some election analysis. Sean, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, always a pleasure to have you, sir. So uh, last night, not a great night, not the apocalypse everybody uh, makes it out to be, but I had a couple top tier takeaways at the beginning of the show. I'd like to go through them one by one and get your thoughts on them. You know, I, I was um, putting my show together early this morning and I'm thinking, what do you say to people after a night last night where a lot of expectations were understandably let down? I thought, oh, you know, be patient. Some of the numbers are still out. And then I literally crossed it out. I'm looking at my notes here and said, no, don't be patient. This is a colossal disgrace that in the world's most advanced economy, we can't count a freaking vote. It is so embarrassing that we have election month and the Democrats want this. They love this chaos after elections. It's, it's just not hard to do, Sean. No, it's not. It's a decision not to do it. Florida is the third most populous state in the country, and they had their results in like in an hour and a half. And yet Arizona is telling us, uh, we might have stuff by Friday. It, it's an embarrassment. And the, the only reason to do this is uh, shenanigans. Uh, I, I don't know what you want to call it, but that, like we can put a rover on Mars, for goodness sake. We can't count a bunch of paper in an evening. It, it's, it's a joke. It reminds me of their suit of blue strategy. Like they, they, there's nothing better than having a month of counting votes, because if the votes don't go your way, you just call Mark Elias in and you just sue, Sean. I mean, this is so obvious what they're doing. I, I'm willing to make a whole bunch of trades. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know Tom Bevan over at Real Clear. I'm not friendly with him, but I follow him on Twitter like I follow you. And he had a suggestion. And I got to tell you, I'm open to it. How about a national election day? We'll give them what they want. You give us what we want. National voter ID. How about that? And then we all agree that will, there will not be no excuse mail-in because it's a disaster, right? We agree. We, we do need absentee. You got military folks on us. We understand that. And maybe you do a weekend of early voting. Maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off the count, Tuesday's a national holiday. Well, how hard is this? And every vote when the polls close is tabulated. I mean, does it make any sense that Pennsylvania can't start counting the votes till election day? You know how idiotic that is? Well, it's actually crazy what happened in Pennsylvania. There, there was a battle a couple of years ago where uh, Republicans in the legislature were, were wanting to get rid of straight ticket voting. They were convinced that allowing straight ticket voting was why Democrats were always winning. And so their gambit was, OK, um, we'll give you the no excuses mail-in balloting if you get rid of straight ticket voting. And the Democrats took it in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. And I actually think that was a huge, huge mistake. Um, the problem for us on the right is that the mail-in balloting is actually super, super popular. People apparently love election quarter. 
or election month. And I, I actually think we're at a bit of a crossroads here. We either have to figure out as a party, how do we go back to in-person voting and the kind of absentee voting where you actually had a good reason to not vote in person, or we're going to have to build our own machine and our own infrastructure so we can do the same stuff with mail-in votes uh, that the Democrats do. And I'll tell you what, I'm actually leaning towards the latter. I think, unfortunately, the ship has sailed because of COVID. People got comfortable with it. And I think the Republican Party needs to get with the new reality. They cannot let the Democrats be voting for months while we just hope that everyone will bank their votes on Election Day. To me, that's a recipe for losing going forward. And folks, listen, Sean is as tough a conservative as you're going to find. Just read his tweets. Believe me, he spares no one. Republican, Democrat, if you're not a conservative, you're on his his hit list with an S. I, I agree a thousand percent. And I've been telling every listener out there, please vote early. And I get a ton of emails, not just one. They say, no, I don't like it. I feel like I'm conceding the point. It should be done on Election Day. And look what happens yesterday. We waited, a lot of us. Maricopa County turns into a hit show. And, and the left is laughing because all their people are already locked in. I mean, it's like going into a referee boxing, referee boxing match. And the referee says, okay, you can both use chainsaws. And you go, nah, listen, I'm a traditionalist. I'm going to stick with the gloves. And the other guy goes, ah, F it, give me the chainsaw. You can't win, man. Reminds me of Adrian. You can't win, Rock. I mean, we, we've got to start acting strategically here and, and not emotionally with this. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I, so the big takeaway for me, um, first off, I don't think it was any one thing that explains everything that happened. This is a really kind of befuddling, contradictory election. But the thing that sticks out to me are Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Arizona. Two years ago, uh, Biden won there. He, he was somewhat popular. Trump was not as popular. And Biden won by a razor's edge in Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Arizona. Completely different circumstances this year. Biden is deeply unpopular. 70% of the people think the nation's on the wrong track. The economy's sputtering. Inflation, gas prices out of control. 180-degree different environment. And we got the exact same result in Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Arizona. And when that happens, that tells me that the Democrats have their machine absolutely dialed in. They harvest 100% of their potential available votes. And that's how they're able to somehow completely get around the environment and almost be impervious to it. And like Republicans, it's time to build your own machine. okay? and what's the old axiom, the old fable? uh, One in hand is worth two in the bush. I mean, that's what they're doing with early voting. You book your votes as soon as possible at the exact opportune moment. And you go from there. We've got to adapt and we've got to do that. Or or I worry we're never going to win another national election. Sean, another one of my top line takeaways is tribalism's triumphed over reality here. Um, there's little doubt about that anymore. I mean, this, this, you and I are opinion folks. We're not journalists. That's the greatest insult you could lob at me if you were to call me that we actually deal with facts. But the facts are the facts. Inflation's the worst it's been in 40 years. Crime is spiking in liberal cities. Um, they're not just videos. They're not just YouTube and Twitter tweets. There are people on those videos actually dying, being carjacked. Those are very real numbers. The border's out of control. The number of gotaways is out of control. The number of encounters at the border's out of control. Unprecedented numbers. These are facts. How you interpret those facts is up to you and I. The fact that people in New York and Arizona, uh, I'm just picking two states uh, off the top of my head, voted for some of them. I mean, obviously not all of them. 
but large swaths of people voted for more of this. Says to me that tribalism's taking over. This is a, a Kool-Aid moment. They're just, they're just, their allegiance is just to the label at this point. I think that's right. I, I think that um, it, it's easy when you follow politics all the time like we do to say, oh, those people are irrational. They're voting against their interests. The, the Dems love to do that to us all the time. And, and I think one thing we need to understand is that people who don't vote the way do, we do doesn't mean they're not rational. They just have totally different priorities. And in the current day and age, it seems like the Democrat priority is just for Republicans to lose. They don't care what they have to pay at the pump. They don't care if their dollar's worth 10% less than it was a year ago. They don't care if the border's overrun. All they care about is, is defeating the Republicans, inflicting defeat on their enemies. And, I mean, you look at the House split right now. You look at what it was in 2020. We are a deeply, deeply divided country. Well, I, I think we have been operating on the right under a fiction that most people are with us that most people really agree with us. And we, if we just use the right things and use the right words, they'll come over to our side. I don't think that's true. I, I think we are a, a country at war with itself right now. And I think these results reflect that. I think you're right. Your thoughts on my Rudy Giuliani parallel. I can't go through the whole thing again, but it, you're probably familiar with what happened in New York City. And one of the things I'm going to talk about on my Fox show this weekend, Sean, and I've addressed in the beginning of the show today is, Sadly, things haven't gotten bad enough. I hope they don't. I don't wish ill on America to make a political point, but they just haven't gotten bad enough. Um, that happened in New York. Giuliani uh, ran after there were 2,000 homicides in the city. 2,000, five times as many as we have now, and now it's bad. He lost, Sean. And then it got really bad. And then he won. And then he ran for re-election in New York City and won by 17 points despite a 10 to 1 disadvantage Democrat to Republican. I see that in the DeSantis race last night, that despite all the gloom and doom about last night, when you run on an actual conservative record, taking on Disney, taking on the Wokatarians, keeping open schools, committing to education, paying the teachers, taking care of cops, giving them incentives to come down to Florida, cleaning up the streets, cutting taxes, committing to business. When you say to people, hey, look what I did. It's not a campaign slogan. You can see it then people are going to vote for you. This shouldn't be a surprise, and it should be a lesson. Every damn conservative that won last night that's going to plant their butts in a congressional seat that you better get something done and not just dick around in there. I think that's such a good point. And, and I'll tell you, I've, I've gotten kind of impatient with the totally pedestrian commentary after last night. People who just want to talk about Trump or they just want to talk about DeSantis in, in the context of 2024. I'll tell you, the lesson of what happened in Florida yesterday is that the key to long-term conservative political success is conservative governance in these states. DeSantis won because of what he did in that state as governor. He didn't win by going around and saying, I'm not, I'm not like those other Republicans. I'm one of the good ones. I'm a moderate. Uh, he didn't win by kind of just pussyfooting around stuff and, and, and only doing stuff halfway. He won and he built that majority because of his rock-solid conservative governance. And that should send a signal to all of these weak need, uh, spindly spined uh, Republicans out there who think they just need to kind of cower and maybe not be noticed and then people will vote for them. No, the key to long term conservative political success is conservative governance in this country. 
You know, I had a laugh because Politico Playbook, which is the Bible for the left, I read it every morning because I don't like to, to do what the left does to us, which you never notice, Sean, they're always surprised by us. Oh my gosh, Trump came out of nowhere, like, because they don't, they don't study what we do. They think we're a bunch of like Nazis or some crazy BS, but I study them and it's kind of laughable that they're already saying, uh, I quote this morning, there was no massive shift of the Hispanic vote towards the GOP. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. That's kind of one of those, like, please, you know, uh, uh, one of those moments, like, where, where they say it hoping it's true, quietly knowing it's embarrassing. Miami-Dade won by 10 points for DeSantis, one of the most Hispanic-leaning counties in the country. We haven't come close to that in eons. Your final thoughts on that? I've got a minute left. Yeah, Florida, the results there really blew me away. I mean, it wasn't just that he won. It's that he won kind of every group by double digits. Now, I think it helps that he was running against Charlie Crist, who might be the most loathsome politician in all of America. I think he's lost statewide race in Florida in three different political parties at this point. Yeah, um, but he did. But yeah, That's a fact. DeSantis proves just do what you say you were going to do and do it well and you'll be successful. And it's crazy to me that that's such a hard lesson for politicians to learn in this country. Folks, Sean Davis, you're listening to him now. Check him out at The Federalist. The Federalist is probably one of the best conservative websites out there. Follow him on Twitter, um, on social media platforms. Sean Davis, uh, thank you so much for coming on. We always appreciate your analysis. Always an honor. Thank you, sir. That was Sean Davis. Up next is FBI whistleblower Kyle Serafin. We'll get to him in a second. But let me tell you first about our next sponsor. MyPillow, folks, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow is always looking for ways to solve everyday problems. You ever picked up a towel, picked up a, a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but when you go to use it, it doesn't absorb anything? Well, it kind of defeats the purpose, right? It's a towel. You don't want a towel leaving you out to dry. Get it? That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow towels, towels that work. I know it's mind-blowing. These things are super absorbent. We love them. They actually dry you well. The six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors. Pick them all up. And right now, you can receive a six-piece set for only $39.96 with the promo code DAN. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listeners special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty. They have a 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this incredible offer on the six-piece set of MyPillow towels, just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listeners special, and enter promo code DAN. Or call 800-637-4982, 800-637-4982. Use promo code DAN. Again, MyPillow.com, promo code DAN. Uh, thanks, MyPillow. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. Comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers in the role made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Here's FBI whistleblower Kyle Serafin on an incredible story about what the DHS and FBI are up to and planning to do to police what they call disinformation. You're not going to want to miss this. All right, I'm happy to welcome back to the show a real American patriot. They are there in the FBI. The agency is not all broken. 
Unfortunately, a lot of people there are broken, and many of them happen to be in leadership. Uh, former special agent with the FBI. You can follow him on Twitter and Truth Social. He is at Kyle Serafin, K-Y-L-E-S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. Please go and follow him today. He's got some uh, information on those accounts you'll need to see. Kyle, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me back on. Well, I, I reached out to you this morning because, uh, again, there's no more powerful voice out there about some of the malfeasance going on with the FBI. And uh, I've been covering this article at The Intercept. You're well aware of about these FBI DHS programs to police disinformation. Before we get into the wonkery of it, is this even constitutional? I mean, we, we have a First Amendment, Kyle. I mean, it wasn't uh, it wasn't amended again. I didn't miss a constitutional convention, did I? No, you did not. So th- there's kind of some uh, some interesting pieces to this, because this is a very nuanced topic at this point. Um, you know, when you put something out on social media, it is in the public sphere and the expectation of privacy is almost nothing. So everybody should be aware that as they make social media posts, that could go anywhere. We all kind of joke that the government's monitoring what we're saying. The reality of it is, is the ability exists, whether or not they are. So you're responsible for your own words. That's the way that America has always been. But the problem becomes the the sort of reach of the ability of the government to monitor these things and to watch them. And what are the parameters that they're using in order to to make that monitoring happen? So if the FBI is looking for every single person who puts MAGA or ultra MAGA in their bio, that's probably a big problem. Now we are targeting a subset and there needs to be some sort of uh, predication in order to do that. But if they're looking for people who are talking about pipe bombs and, and techniques to build them and sharing that sort of information in a very narrow sphere where they believe that there's a threat, then that falls into probably a very um, appropriate law enforcement realm. So we just there's a really dangerous you know, tipping point, and nobody knows where that tipping point is because the technology and the ability is pretty new. Yeah, you make a lot of great points. We're talking to former FBI special agent Kyle Serafin. Please uh, follow him on social media. Kyle, you're not wrong. There's obviously an assumption appropriately. It's called social media for a reason. It's not a DM. It's not an email. When you post something in the public space, you're doing it because you want the public to see it. So, yes, REP, reasonable expectation of privacy, something you and I both learned about, me and Fletzy, you and and Quantico. Um, You know, it's like abandoning property outside in your curb and throwing it in the garbage and then the FBI finds remnants of a pipe bomb. You can't say, oh, well, you guys needed a warrant. No, we actually didn't. You threw it out. Totally understand that. And I get it. You're not defending it. But uh, I like that you give a, a, the, you know, the nuance of it. Having said that, I think what you and I are uncomfortable with and the listening audience is the abridgment of free speech portion clearly prohibited by the First Amendment. It's obvious right. you haven't been a former FBI agent with a gun in his shield and a commission book that if you're emailing Twitter and even winking and nodding like, hey, this account's saying some stuff we really don't like, whether criminal or not, that you're not speaking as Kyle Serafin. You're speaking as former FBI agent Kyle Serafin. That's a whole different ballgame. That's right. So I, I kind of drew this little uh, this path. And the government is famous for mission creep. It's the military term for it. It's always looking for that reason to have funding and to exist. Um, some people remember that the ATF almost got disbanded in the 90s. And they went out and found a mission set and they joined the Department of Justice. They haven't always been a DOJ entity. And, and all government agencies sort of have that instinct. It's just people want to keep their job and they want to justify what they're doing. 
So the first thing that this this sort of uh, this process, it happened in 2016. And I think Trump broke a lot of people's minds when he was elected. So they, they started looking for information, disinformation from a foreign entity. And so that's part one. But it leads you to advocacy of that position and that it shouldn't exist and that we should do something about it because people in the government, they need to first gather information, but then they need to advocate. And so that leads to research to justify the budget. And that advocacy eventually leads to trying to quell the quote unquote threats that they find. And then they have to maintain you know, their, their, uh, their appearance. They have to improve their work. So they need metrics to be able to measure it. And so this entity just grows out of control from not a terrible idea, which is to see what is the you know, exposure that we have to foreign disinformation. And suddenly we realize now they're looking at domestic information. And so that's, that's really right. where that dangerous creep happens. And, and, and in this intercept piece, which I'm going to read in detail after I'm done with you. We're talking to former FBI agent Kyle Servin, an American patriot. There's a section of this piece where apparently one of the FBI agents who spoke to The Intercept indicated that they were pulled off a joint terrorism task force assignment uh, investigating al-Qaeda and Islamic State and put on domestic terrorism cases to investigate Americans. When you did the sit-down interview with me, you clearly indicated that this is one of the biggest problems you had and why you were speaking out. This isn't cost-free, Kyle. Us taking limited FBI assets away from Al-Qaeda, Islamic State, and other Islamo-fascist organizations looking to kill people and having them troll social media for grandma's MAGA account because she thinks the 2020 election had issues in Arizona, that's not exactly a, a judicious use of resources. No, I totally agree with you. And if you think about it, DHS was created to do what? I mean, they're a homeland security organization. So they were focused at defending the homeland from the external threats of terrorism. But as we've seen some, sort of a decline of ISIS and Al Qaeda has been less in the news and they're not getting the same press. We're out of Afghanistan. And they mentioned this in, in the Intercept piece as well. You know, DHS started looking domestically. It's looking for something to do. It's a government agency. It needs that input. And so they were able to identify domestic extremism, domestic terrorism, which I don't think is as, as big of a threat. And my experience doesn't lead me to believe that either. But, you know, this is a government agency that's looking for something to do. And so the FBI has done the same thing. They've gone from the external threat. You have riots and, and, and crazy things happening all over America in 2020 from the George Floyd riot, riots. And you just you start looking internally and then now they're internal. So what the heck? They might as well look around. And now it's now it's people that are anti-government. It's people that are saying things that are you know pro-militia. And, and all these threats can be seen as as problems if your lens starts looking internally. And that's where we've gone. That's where these these uh, entities have gone. Yeah. And I, I think there's no clearer case in this intercept case than this piece uh, than, than this portion of it I was discussing before you came on. Apparently, according to the reporters here at The Intercept, Lee Fang and Ken Klippenstein, the, an FBI, uh, excuse me, a DHS official citing FBI warnings. So this sounds serious. I, I mean, I'm not being silly about it. The DHS right. is citing FBI warnings, emails an official at Twitter about a Twitter account that could, quote, imperil election system integrity. Now, you and I hearing this, former agents were like, wow, this must have been some account. What the hell were they saying on Twitter? Kyle, the Twitter user in question had 56 followers and the bio read, Hose be mad. This is a parody <laughs> account. DM us your weed store locations. Like, come on. You and I have worked with, there are a lot of smart people in these agencies. You know, some could use a little more street smart, but that's, you know, the Secret Service too. But there were a lot of good yep. people there. 
How did no? How did this get out of a government email account to Twitter without someone going, guys? This this looks kind of dumb. Are we really emailing Twitter about this? Well, these are, this is what happens when you take people that have minimal job experience in the outside world. You know, you don't need any previous experience to jump in to be a, an intelligence analyst at the FBI. You'll have a degree that's relevant. You have a good interview set. A lot of times there's diversity metrics that you can hit and you'll be in there. And so there's some really smart people and there's some very foolish people that believe that, you know, the Internet is real life, that 56 followers is a real threat to our uh, election security. And so you get these people, then they, they run off, they get a big leash. Once they keep getting, you know, at some point in time, someone's going to stop reading your 50 page term papers that you put out and somebody's going to just take the piece out of it and they're going to call up Twitter about it. My, my analogy that I use, I don't know if you ever had ground cover when you were growing up and in, uh, in the. Yeah. Yeah. Coast, yeah. You know, I know exactly. Ivy, what right. It is. Yeah. And, and so if you look at the way Ivy grows, it's a lot like government. It's like if you leave it and you're and you're pruning it and you got a weed eater out there every day, it needs a boundary. And then you got to prune that boundary regularly. But the government is oftentimes not looked at for a while. You come back over and suddenly you got three feet of ivy out in your lawn. And so if you're not coming at it with a weed eater and it doesn't have a firm barrier, it's just going to grow. And it's going to get into weird things like some guy who's saying, hose be mad and uh, send us your weed stores. So that, that's kind of how that stuff happens. <laughs> We're talking to Kyle Serafin, FBI whistleblower. If you're looking for more about some of the stuff going inside, on inside the government, follow him on Twitter and True Social. It's the same handle. At Kyle, K-Y-L-E, Serafin, S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. This guy should be all over the, you should be everywhere. You should be sounding the alarm everywhere. What you're saying is so important. And Kyle, I worked in the Secret Service. You worked in the FBI. And, you know, when we would talk both on and off the record, I'd say to you, you know, we had the similar problems. Expecting every young agent to come into the Bureau, Customs or Secret Service or DEA, whatever it is, and be some kind of a constitutional expert is a lot to ask. They're not law. I was a street cop. You get a basic law course and that's it. So, you know, when someone says to you in a secret service school and they make like a joke about say a presidential assassination case and they're like, ah, you know what? You get that material. However you can. A lot of the agents aren't sitting around going, well, well, how does that apply to curtilage and REP? That's not the way it works. And, and it, I'm sorry to, with the long-winded question, but I was thinking of something specific to the FBI. There was a quote by some unnamed guy who they asked him about all this stuff, the FBI watching everything on social media, and he said, hell, we don't even know what's legal anymore. And it reminded me of that moment I had in the Secret Service Academy where if, if you don't have these clear boundaries you're addressing, of course there's going to be significant mission creep into potential violations of your constitutional rights. Yep. So the FBI has an entity that's called the chief division council in every single field office. And, you know, that's that's a person. That's a human being. They have all the flaws and foibles and biases that we all bring to the job. But most of them are very good. In fact, I, you know, we jokingly call them the no factory when you're working on the uh, on the cases because you want to do something. It's like, no, you can't because of this. That's really what the FBI's job is, is, is to rein itself in internally with these uh, these CDCs, these chief division councils. And I know some of them personally and fairly well, and they're very good people and, and they're uh, they're honest and they're reputable. And a lot of them have a ton of experience. The danger is if you have somebody in that that area who is less experienced and there are some and who have more ideological focuses that don't line up with the constitutional beliefs that you and I grew up with and that have been affirmed by all the courts. And so if they have kind of a different bend on it, they're coming out of maybe a liberal law school with a very liberal read on things. Then you've got people who are willing to push the envelope of their case and they're pushing what's constitutional and potentially stepping into dangerous territory like this. Yeah. 
Hey, Kyle, I, I never brought it up, and I want to put you on the spot, especially on the air, but, you know, you, you <laughs> need to consider running for office, man. I, I, I know it's not something you've ever addressed with me. You've never brought it up. Never heard you talk about it, but um, really, it, you owe it to the public. You have a lot of information. You're very articulate about this, and you clearly care about the direction of the country. You should consider that in the future. I mean, I did it. It wasn't for me. Um, I lost, but I'll tell you what. It led to some 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 deep and structural changes in my life, and I became a huge and, and, and passionate advocate for liberty and freedom because this place matters to me. And I know the FBI matters to you. I know it does. I wish it mattered more to the people running the damn place right now, but I know it matters to you. You know, I've spoken to you on and off the record. I know your your heart is pure with this. So I got to run, unfortunately. Folks, follow him. He's at Kyle Serafin, S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N, on Twitter and on Truth. He is uh, trying to clean this place up, and we appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks so much for the time, Dan. You got it. Folks, follow that guy. This man, I'm telling you, the guy's heart is pure with this. He is taking it on the chin here bad they're coming after his pension and everything for simply speaking out and trying to clean that mess up and the way they talk to him on these calls you can go listen to his twitter and it's truth you can hear him yourself the way they talk to him like he's some kind of an idiot it's just a disgrace if they bring him in and say hey we understand all this stuff happened you have some suggestions to fix the place you're going to be reinstated I'd be like, wow, these guys really care about change. They don't care about change. They just care about sweeping all this crap underneath the rug. That was Kyle Serafin. Up next is Revolver News' Darren Beatty. He's been all over this January 6th bomber case. But let me tell you first about our final sponsor. We pay hundreds of dollars a year to protect our homes, our cars, even our phones. But too many of us aren't taking steps to protect our family's finances. Mortgage payments, private student loans, other types of debt don't just disappear. Something happens to you. A life insurance policy, I have one, you should get one too, can provide your loved ones with a financial cushion they can use to cover these costs. It can provide you with peace of mind that even in a worst case scenario, they'll be protected. Policy Genius is an insurance marketplace that makes it easy to compare quotes from top companies in one place to find your lowest price on life insurance. You could save 50% or more. That's a lot on life insurance by comparing quotes using Policy Genius. Policy Genius. Options start at just $17 per month for $500,000 of coverage. Just click the link in the description here or head to policygenius.com to get personalized quotes in minutes and find the right policy for your needs. The licensed agents at Policy Genius, they work for you, not insurance companies. They're on hand throughout the entire process to help you understand your options so you can make decisions with confidence. Head on over today. Write it down. Policygenius.com. Policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. It's important. PolicyGenius.com. Thanks, PolicyGenius. Appreciate you being part of the show. Here's Darren Beatty talking about his incredible story uncovering the possibility of the FBI tampering with the video footage of the January 6th pipe bomber. Listen to the startling information Darren uncovered. All right, here he is. I'd like to welcome back to the show. He's been a frequent guest. Uh, we covered his piece yesterday at Revolver.News, Revolver.News. It's called, Did the FBI Tamper with the Frame Rate of the January 6th Pipe Bomb Footage? And ladies and gentlemen, to call the feedback uh, explosive, maybe understatement of the year, I got probably close to five or 600 messages on Facebook and elsewhere, people asking me about this story. So uh, Darren Beatty runs Revolver, Revolver.News. Darren, thanks for joining us. This is an amazing story. 
absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So let's get right to it, Darren. We covered this over probably an hour on yesterday's uh, radio show and at least a half an hour on the podcast. So the, mm-hmm. the January 6th case, as you well know, only you and Julie Kelly seem to be doing anything about this. Uh, we were told it was an insurrection, worst thing since 9-11. We've heard all the hyperbole. And yet there's this bomber out there who was supposed to have uh, left a bomb in front of the DNC and RNC. And yet it's weird. We don't hear anything about it. Yet, as you indicate in the piece, the FBI has 39,000 video files. Why are we not hearing about it? And why haven't we seen that video? You know, that's a great question, because we consider the larger context. They've been trying to shove this narrative down our throat that January 6th is the biggest terrorist event since 9-11. It's worse than 9-11 and so forth and so on. And arguably, the only or the most quote-unquote terrorist-like element of the January 6th story are these explosive devices that were planted at the RNC and DNC, respectively. And there's basically zero interest in finding out who this person is. The FBI released surveillance footage, allegedly, of this pipe bomber. But as Revolver.News showed in our last piece on the pipe bomb, they're deliberately withholding critical footage of the actual money shot. That is the case of the pipe bomber actually planting the bomb. Why did they withhold that footage? And now in our latest bombshell piece, which you mentioned, we've showed that there's a very, very strong chance, a very high probability that not only did they withhold critical footage, but they tampered with the footage that they actually released. Specifically, they artificially reduced the frame rate of the surveillance footage in order to make it more difficult, really next to impossible, to identify who this person is. So the question is, why would they go out of their way to make it more difficult to find this person? Why are the Democrats uninterested? Because remember, according to the official story, this is a MAGA pipe bomber who planted an explosive device outside of the Democrats' national headquarters. Why are they not putting pressure on the FBI to release this footage? And Dad, we're talking to Darren Beatty. The piece, you got to read it, folks. It's at revolver.news. It's called, Did the FBI Tamper with the Frame Rate of the January 6th Pipe Bomb Footage? Darren and Julie Kelly, I'm telling you, we're the only people talking about this story. It's only one of the biggest stories of our time. Darren, Kamala Harris, who at the time was the vice president-elect, January 5th, January 6th, that time period right there. Uh, this This is a big deal. This is the day they're going to count the votes, right, the Electoral College votes. Kamala Harris went to the DNC. So if there's video of a bomber placing a live explosive device there, like we were told early on, then how is it that EOD, the explosive teams and the canine units, which unquestionably would have, would have unquestionably would have swept the location, how come they didn't find it? Well, that's a great question. And you're pointing at one of the many, many mysteries that just doesn't add up uh, about the pipe bombs. First of all, the RNC bomb, which was the one that was found under very bizarre circumstances, a random pedestrian found it at 1240 with exactly 20 minutes left on the dial. So that conveys the precise impression that it was set to go off at one, which is when the official certification proceeding was to begin. So if that random pedestrian hadn't randomly found it at any other minute, it wouldn't have given that exact impression. Furthermore, it was almost precisely timed 
to the initial assault on the west perimeter of the Capitol. In fact, the Capitol Police responded to the initial assault one minute. The Capitol Police responded to the pipe bomb call one minute before the assault on the perimeter. So the timing was so precisely aligned that the head of the Capitol Police thought the pipe bombs must have been there for a diversion. The only thing is the diversion could only have worked if someone discovered the RNC bomb exactly when they did. And perhaps even more importantly, it could have only worked if someone did not find the DNC bomb prematurely. That, remember, these bombs were allegedly planted the evening before. So unlike the RNC bomb, which was sort of ensconced in a back alley behind a trash can, not the likely one that would have been found, the DNC bomb was planted very conspicuously right by the leg of a park bench, right by the entrance and parking garage to the DNC. This is right out in the open. So we're supposed to believe that for like 17 hours, no one found it. No motorists driving by. None of the pedestrians on a high foot traffic day on January 6th saw it. The DNC physical security guard, by the way, DNC invested in physical security, regularly stationed eight feet away from where the pipe bomb was planted. So that physical security guard missed it. And now the Secret Service of the United States missed it in a sweep, which they're on the record as having conducted by the exits, entrances and parking garage. This is less than eight feet away from where the pipe bomb was planted. So all these people managed to miss the bomb. And sure enough, the FBI is withholding the critical footage of the bomber actually planting the bomb at the DNC when they say he did it. And now we see that they very likely further tampered with the footage that they did release to make it that much more difficult to identify who this person is. Well, let's address those two components. We're talking to Darren Beatty about his story in Revolver.News, a fantastic website. You should all be bookmarking today. It's incredible. The first part, before we get to the frames per second, Mm -hmm. you have written many pieces on this in the past, that there are multiple camera angles in front of the DNC, and there is a money shot where the alleged bomber walks right by one of the cameras. Now, Darren, you're a reporter. I was a former investigator. If you wanted to identify this subject and wanted the public's help, then the most logical thing to do is to release the money shot and say, here's the perp. We haven't seen that yet. Why, why, why is that? Exactly. I mean, it, it can sound complicated, but it's actually very simple. They've released footage of the pipe bombers from two different cameras. The camera that would have given us a better angle of the bomber actually planting it, they didn't release him planting it from that angle. They deliberately gave us the angle that we couldn't see the pipe bomber planting it. Why? I mean, and it goes beyond, like, the obvious thing is they're saying they want us to help catch him. Why not give us the good angle? But even just for propaganda purposes, I mean, if they have footage of the criminal actually committing the criminal deed, why not play that on loop so as to reinforce their desired narrative of a terrorist attack? Why would they forgo that incredible propaganda opportunity? And furthermore, like getting back to the Kamala thing, that's, you know, suspicious for the same reason. Why would they forgo the opportunity to drill into our heads that Kamala Harris, the vice president-elect, the you know first woman of color vice president was n- narrowly escaped death because 
she was in the, the, the building when the pipe bomb was there. Imagine the frenzy that they could have had. And yet they decided not to do it. Instead, they covered up the fact she was there for a year. Why did they do that? Is it because they didn't want us to know that the Secret Service would have swept that area and they didn't want us to ask the question that now we're asking, which is, how did everyone miss this pipe bomb at the DNC? And why are they tampering with and withholding footage that could help us to answer that question? And why don't the Democrats care about finding out who this person is who allegedly planted an explosive device outside of their very own backyard national headquarters? Darren, that although all of your articles on this topic pose some really vexing questions, that last component is clearly the one that interests me the most. The January 6th committee, we're talking to Darren Beatty from Revolver.News about a story about the January 6th bomber, the continuing mystery here. The January 6th committee, clearly uh, trying to manipulate the election. This has nothing to do with getting to the bottom of anything. They found it necessary, Darren, to play video of Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican, running away from the insurrectionists or whatever, which is interesting because they said he was colluding with them. So why would he be running away from them? So they did that to embarrass and humiliate him. But you're so right. You have the money shot of a bomber trying to take out the first uh, 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 African-American black vice president of the United States. You, uh, this is amazing. This is like, this is incredible. You have this incredible opportunity. It's a bl- uh, black American should be clear on that. Uh, and you just blow the opportunity because it, it doesn't, it makes zero sense. Yes, it makes zero sense uh, unless there's a major cover-up involved. And I'm absolutely convinced that there is a cover-up. And you know what? If the regime, if the corrupt elements of the Biden regime, the national security state, military intelligence, DHS, FBI, all of these elements that may have been involved in this operation, if they're going to say that we're wrong, if they're going to say everything was fine, then they have a very, very clear way to do that, to prove that. Release this footage. Release this footage. And when we get in in the midterms, we need to demand the chain of custody of that footage because we know it went from the DNC to the FBI to the public. Who are the names of the people who are responsible for handling the tapes? Did they give it to a third-party multimedia contractor to edit or do anything with before it was prepared to release to the public? We need to know all of that. Darren, I got, I got about uh, two minutes left. But uh, th- what is the likelihood that the camera in front of the DNC, probably one of the most high-threat-level locations in a high-threat-level city in Washington, likelihood is that they were just using a low-grade camera that recorded it one frame per second. I mean, well, what's the industry standard? Well, it, it, it's, it's even worse than that in a way, because if, if, if it were just a matter of cost savings, the absolute cheapest piece of crap surveillance camera that's on the market is eight frames per second. The absolute <sighs> cheapest piece of crap you know i in the in the piece we show that they actually the surveillance industry does studies on this and the 2021 report showed that the percentage 
of operating surveillance cameras that have a frame rate less than five frames per second is zero percent. And so in order to believe that this is the original footage, you don't just have to say that for whatever reason, the DNC, which has massive budget and has VIPs working there, VIPs coming and going, which exists in one of the most dangerous cities in the country, and they're concerned enough about security that they have a physical security guard eight feet from the pipe bomb site, but they just wanted to go cheap and get the absolute worst possible camera they could have. That would have given us an eight frame per second to get a 1.2 frame rate per second. They would have had to not go cheap. They would have had probably to spend money to find the one antique store in the country that would carry such a Jurassic age camera that could give that kind of frame per second. Yeah, I, Darren, uh, your story's amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, again, it's at revolver.news. Please check it out. It asks, did the FBI tamper with the frame rate on the January 6th bomber video? Darren, you're always, always welcome back in on the show. It's an open invite. And please, um, if the FBI ever decides to speak to you and actually, uh, you know, put a comment on the record, we'd love to hear from you. But I got to run. I'm out of time. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You got it, buddy. Folks, that story is amazing. That was Darren Beatty of Revolver. Thanks for listening to this special Sunday podcast we put together for you. You can hear me every weekday across the country on over 300 radio stations. Just go to Bongino.com and click on Station Finder to find out where I'm on near you. Thanks a lot. I hope you're having a great weekend. I'll see you on Monday. You just heard Dan Bongino.